It's Tuned to Yesterday, programs from radio's past, broadcast in your theater of the mind. I'm your host, Mark Levanier, for this hour of Radio Mystery. Later on, you'll hear an episode of The Whistler, but right now, it's The Adventures of Nero Wolfe. The first story of the character, penned by Rex Stout, came out in novel form in 1934 and before long was a hit in movies and on radio. Sidney Greenstreet portrays the immortal character now with Peter Leeds, William Johnstone, and Jane Webb. It's the case of the careworn cuff from October 27, 1950 on NBC. My boss is the smartest and the stubbornest, the fattest and the laziest, the cleverest and the craziest, the most extravagant detective in the world. Nero Wolf. The place is Nero Wolf's office. At the moment, the world's greatest motionless detective is sitting in the chair which was built especially to support his 300 pounds. His eyes are closed, and he's making sounds through his nose. Archie. Archie. Archie! Yes, Mr. Wolf, what is it? The phone, if you please, Mr. Goodwin. But it's on your desk, only eight and three-quarter inches from your left elbow. All you have to do is lean forward. Found it, Archie. What do you think I am, an athlete? Hello. No, wrong number, mister. I'm sorry, Mr. Wolf, if that old phone awakened you. Wrong number, and I was not asleep. I was merely uh, concentrating. On what? We're out of work. There's nothing to concentrate on. May have escaped your errant attention, Archie. But there are other subjects for thought besides murder. Mm -hmm. Sure, blondes. And blondes. You're right at that, brunettes. Phooey. That's not a nice thing to say about any girl, even if she does happen to be a brunette. Archie. Yes, sir? Go away. You annoy me. Suppose I did. It would get your beer for you. Fritz. Tonight happens to be Fritz's night off. However, you can always get your beer for yourself. Don't be an idiot. There are exactly 23 steps between here and the kitchen. As you very well know, I abominate strenuous physical activity. 23 steps times two, it's 46. You could walk very slow. Nonsense. Now that you mention it, uh, I happen to be mildly thirsty, Archie. Would you... Now that I mention it, you'd better let the beer go for tonight. Why? Our stock is running low. You mean carrots? I've been careful, because something else is also running low. What? Money? Federal sticks there's plenty in the bank. Sure, but very little of it is yours. Mr. Wolf, do you remember that batch of orchids you bought last week? Of course I do. Magnificent and very rare specimen. I got a magnificent bill for him this morning, too. It was uh, large? It was large. Mm-hmm. Confound it, Archie. I shall have to do some work. You turned down half a dozen cases in the last few weeks. One of them may still require me. Most of them hired other detectives. However, there is a Mr. Wenceslas who might still be in need. His problem is what? As I remember, he's being followed by midgets. <laughs> he wanted you to do something about it. Not, not that he minded the midgets so much. It was the elephants they were riding. The man needs a psychiatrist, not a detective. Anyone else? I can check my files, but I don't think... Ha-ha! <laughs> Saved by the bell. Another creature like that, and I shall... Answer the phone yourself? Assassinate. You'll see what it is. Okay. Hello? Yes, Mr. Wolf is in. Yes, he'll be in. He always is. What? But... Hmm. That was a Mr. Charles Porter. He was in a hurry. He's on his way over right now. Should be here in ten minutes. Prospective client, I trust? A thousand dollars worth of prospective client. Splendid, Archie, my beer. Okay, but, uh, look, I'm not sure you're going to accept his offer. Indeed, what does he want me to do for his paltry fee? That's the point. If I heard him right, he wants you to do nothing. Charles Porter. Who else would I be? It's a large field. Uh, never mind. Come on in. 
I'm Archie Goodwin. Where is Wolf? Mr. Wolf is in here. Mr. Wolf, this is Mr. Porter. Good evening. Fat, aren't you? It's moderately noticeable. Archie, a chair for Mr. Porter. Don't bother. I'm too impatient to sit. When I have business to take care of, I take care of it quickly. Very well. Send him out of the room. Mr. Goodwin, nonsense. He's my assistant. He remains. I don't like it. Archie, show Mr. Porter out. Now, wait. There's no need to get temperamental. Perhaps I'm a little abrupt. Rude. I'm a worried man. And impatient. You're wasting time, Mr. Porter. I suppose I am. The reason I came to you... Young man, what are you doing with that notebook? Getting ready to make marks in it, but... Oh, never mind. Mr. Wolfe, you have a client named Dorothy Spencer. Have I? There's no need to be coy about it. I happen to know. Then you know. I want you to drop her. Drop her? Refuse to handle her case. Close the books on her. You know what I mean. Why should I? The girl has no money. I have. That doesn't answer my question. Perhaps this will. Appear to be a small package of dollar bills. It happens to be a thousand dollars. Archie, will you? I will. It is a thousand dollars. Thank you. Mr. Porter. Yes? You're paying me a thousand dollars in order that I refuse to act for Miss Spencer. Nothing more. That's right. What does she suspect you of? I said nothing about... Well, that is... You must know that as well as I do. Possibly. Nevertheless, what does she suspect you of? Of being a blackmailer. Whereas your occupation really is? I'm a musician. Pianist. I'm appearing nightly at the Windsor Hotel. Archie, have you made out a receipt for Mr. Porter? Yep. Give it to him and show him to the door. Okay. Mr. Porter? Mr. Wolfe, I want your assurance that the entire affair is definitely finished. My association with Miss Spencer, you mean. You have my assurance that it is. You will forgive a classical illusion. The Carver. Thank you. Good night. Mr. Wolf, I have a secret about Mr. Porter. He <laughs> smells. Some perfume or other. More important, his right coat cuff is more worn than his left cuff. And a Carver happens to be a musical term, meaning start again from the beginning. Oh? Porter thought it meant finished. Therefore, Mr. Porter is a liar. His ignorance of common musical term indicates that he's not a musician. The worn right coat cuff that he is an office worker. That's kind of leaping to a deduction. But even if Porter's a liar, Mr. Wolf, there is something else. He, uh, he paid you $1,000 to drop a client named Dorothy Spencer. Mr. Wolf, you never had a client with that name. <laughs> that Dorothy Spencer is not in. Anyway, she's not answering her phone. Uh, Mr. Wolf, I said... I know what you said. Ah. That a comment? I'm worried. Mr. Porter may have assumed erroneously that Dorothy Spencer had employed or was intending to employ me. That does not explain why he lied about his occupation. Maybe he didn't lie. After all, your deductions could be wrong. Fush. Okay. Take care of that right now. I'm phoning her. Hello, uh, Windsor Hotel? Get me the manager's office. Thanks. Ah, uh, could, could, could you tell me if a Charles Porter plays the piano? It's... Uh-huh. She sounds blonde. I see. Thanks a lot. What do you do after work? You... Oh, well, so long. She goes home and beats her husband. About Porter, Archie. Bad news. He does play the piano at the Windsor in the move room. So where does that leave your deductions? Untouched, of course. Let me think. Hmm. Yes, naturally. Naturally what? 
I came to the conclusion that Mr. Porter was an office worker. We have just discovered that Mr. Porter is not an office worker, therefore... You were wrong. I am never wrong. Therefore, the man who is here is not Charles Porter. Mr. Wolf, do you think a man of your weight should climb out on a limb like that? Fiddlesticks. Look up Porter in the phone book and call him. Okay. I'll take a second. Uh-huh. Archie, the phone company's best friend. <clears throat> Yep, here he is. What do I ask him? Um, there'll be no need to ask Mr. Porter anything. Just phone. You're the boss. Well, I have to say something to the guy. Hello. I'd like to speak to Charles Porter. So would you. Who's... Oh, Stebbins, huh? Yeah, that's right, Archie. Oh... No, no, don't, don't, don't bother why I call it a coincidence. Goodbye. You know who that was? No. That was Sergeant Stebbins, Sergeant Pearlie Stebbins. I might add, as though you didn't know that Stebbins happens to be a sergeant in homicide. Indeed. You expected this. I still don't know what your conversation was about. It was about Charles Porter, who maybe was a liar, but who isn't going to tell any more lies on account of he was just shot to death. Archie Goodwin. Come in, Goodwin. Thank you, Sergeant Stebbins. I've been expecting you. Oh, that's sweetie to say that, Pearlie. <laughs> Why did you phone Porter? His right coat cuff was more worn out than his left. So for that, you had to kill him? No, actually, I killed him because he didn't know his duck couple. Hey. Yeah, hey. He don't look good anymore, eh? Guys who stop bullets with their face never look good. Pearlie, you've been robbed. I did... Hmm. That corpse is not Porter. <laughs> now relax, Goodwin, relax. His fingerprints were on file and they check. His girlfriend says he's Porter. If he could get up and talk, he'd tell you he was Porter. And what makes you think he isn't? Well, because when he visited us earlier tonight, he looked different. Not much, but... You said girlfriend? Yes, I said girlfriend. She's in the next room mopping up. She kind of broke down when we brought her here. You brought her here? Now, don't tell me what her name is. Why shouldn't I? It's Spencer. Dorothy Spencer. Ooh, that's what I was afraid of. Sergeant, I... Oh. Ignore him. He comes with the woodwork. His name is Goodwin, Miss Spencer. Archie Goodwin. Find what you were looking for? What I was looking... Somebody's gone through this place like a minor league hurricane. You? What business is it of, of you? mine? None, maybe. On the other hand, Nero Wolf might have other ideas. Matter of fact, I'm sure he'd have. Miss Spencer, why don't you go see him? The address is 601 West 35th Street. I don't see why... You want your boyfriend's murderer found, don't you? Now, listen, Goodwin, the police are working on this. Sure, they'll see to it nobody harms a corpse. Goodbye, Miss Spencer. Don't forget that address, 601 West 35th Street. Believe it or not, you used to be a client of ours. Oh, Mr. Wolf, you're getting to be so brilliant, it's boring. Fooey. Um... <laughs> That is, um... Uh... All right, tonight you deserve it. I'll get you another can of beer. But this is the last one. Unless you promise to do some exercise, like, uh... Like maybe standing up and sitting down five minutes a day. Thank you. <sighs> and why should I indulge in such idiotic behavior? Well, after a while, you might be able to see your shoes. I've already seen them. Oh, that was 20 years ago. Things had changed. No more buttons. Hey, that must be Dorothy Spencer. Hmm, she's undoubtedly young and beautiful. You deduced that from the way she pressed the buzzer? I deduced that from the gleam in your eye, bah. Bah, all you want. I'm going to keep that gleam shining. Hello, Miss Spencer. Come in. Thank you. Mr. Wolf. Is the large sitting-down gentleman behind the desk? This is Dorothy Spencer, Mr. Wolf. You will forgive me not rising. It is due to a necessary conservation of energy rather than rudeness. Archie, the chair. Sure. Here you are, Miss Spencer. Thanks. Now then, Miss Spencer, have the police found anything but dust in Mr. Porter's closet? Why, no. You were engaged to Mr. Porter? I was. That ring you're wearing, he gave it you? Yes. May I see it? Well, all right. Here. Thank you. Hmm, expensive. Very expensive. 
You may have it back. Miss Spencer, why are you marrying Charles Porter? I, I loved him. Fooey. Mr. Porter, according to Archie's description, was twice your age with considerably less than half your attractiveness. Love may perhaps be blind, but it is not astigmatic. I, I don't know what you mean. What were you searching for under the nose of the police? Nothing. Nothing how, at all. How did your fiancé earn his money? He played the piano at the... Boy, what he earned there in a year wouldn't begin to pay for the ring he gave you. Would you like to try again? I don't know how he made his money. I suggest that you do. I suggest that he earn money by the same method that he induced you to consider marrying him. Blackmail. Oh, but... Why was he blackmailing you? Old letters I'd written when I was too young to know any better. Your motives for murdering Porter would be twofold, then. Recovery of blackmail material and the avoidance of marriage to a man you dislike. I didn't kill Charles. No doorbell, Archie. Get Miss Spencer into the kitchen once. Must be the police. Yeah, let's go, Miss Spencer. Right through that door. And stay there until I call you. Front door, Archie. Uh, Mr. Wolf, do I know Dorothy Spencer's here? You know nothing. A simple role for you to play. Uh, I haven't got time to resent that insult right now, but wait until the next time you drop a collar button. Well, bless my soul, if it isn't dear old Inspector Kramer. How is the homicide department? Where's Wolf? Big surprise. He's sitting. Mr. Wolf. Good evening, Inspector. Where's Dorothy Spencer? This is not the Bureau of Missing Persons. The district attorney would like to talk to her. I shall tell her so the next time we meet. Yeah, that could be right now. She's in this house. I don't see her. Mind if I look around for myself? You have a search warrant, of course. Uh, so happens, no, but... Uh... Archie, the inspector's leaving. Okay, I'm leaving. I suppose by the time I get back with a warrant, she'll be in Hoboken. Hoboken? Where's that? Look, Wolf, you can go too far. One of these days, you won't be able to talk yourself out of a... I... Ah... Trail me to the door, Goodwin, to show what a good detective you are. Ooh, Inspector Kramer doesn't love us anymore. Unfortunate. Archie, take Miss Spencer to a respectable hotel. Register her under an assumed name. She is to stay there until notified otherwise. Luckily, the good inspector neglected to inform us that she was the leading suspect in a murder case. Hence, we're not accessories after the fact, and I don't want her arrested for murder as yet. Her beauty has won you over. Four. You will then return here immediately. Okay. What are you going to be doing in the meanwhile? I, Archie, shall be thinking. Patient and non-musical friend came in through the window. How are you, Mr. Not Porter, of course. Where's the girl? Question is beginning to bore me. I don't know. I think she's here. So did the police. I might add that they were slightly closer to the truth. Incidentally, what makes you think she was Porter's accomplice? She must have been. Nonsense, she wasn't. Porter was blackmailing her. Just as he was blackmailing you. In her case, it was letters. In yours, a previous criminal record, perhaps, that your employers might be interested in. I want to know where she is. Maybe this would help you remember. Good heavens, don't point a pistol at me. It annoys me. Ah, the police, I should think, open the door for them like a good fellow. Oh, no. I'm leaving. But if I don't find that girl, I'll be back. Knock the blasted thing down if it isn't open. All right, well, I've got the search warrant. Oh, so no doubt a fine tooth comb. Bah. By the way, Inspector. All right, boys, cover the house. All right, Inspector. Well, what did you want? As your men go through the house, will you have one of them shut the back window? I've just had a burglar, and I suspect he left it open. Unless the matter is attended to, the house might be filled with <laughs> fresh air. Well, what's the matter with that? Fresh air, deadly poison. It clogs the lungs. And may I point out that the warrant you're clutching in your hot little hand is not a lease on the house. Finish your search quickly, if you please, and then... Uh, <laughs> why not try Hoboken? <laughs> 
so I just missed the inspector, huh? You did? That I can stand. I'm sorry about the burglar, though. Perhaps we can arrange to have you meet him in the morning. He left his calling card with name and address on it? He dropped his handkerchief here on my desk. Oh. Hmm. It's a handkerchief. It smells. So it does. But, um... All of our unknown friends' clothes carry the odor. Therefore... Yeah? You will go out immediately to the nearest drugstore, buy a specimen of every cake of soap manufactured in this country. Mister. No. I never realized just how many different brands of soap are made in this country. You should listen to the radio more often. So far, we've sniffed at 37 cakes. None of them smell like porter. Uh, let's see. 38. Hey. Let me have it, Archie. Yes, the soap. Ah, it's labeled orchid ovals. I should say basically mislabeled. Orchids have no odor. Our task for the evening is finished. Why? All we know is the guy washes with a basely mislabeled soap. No, the odor would not have been so persistent in that case. Unquestionably, our visitor works for a soap company that makes orchid ovals. Every employee of a plant in which perfume in large quantities is used inevitably carries the odor on his clothes. Oh. And you already deduced he works in an office. Uh Uh-huh. Ah, I, I go see him in the morning? You do? <laughs> you know, Mr. Wolf, what with hiring rooms for girls and paying visits to a perfume factory, I'm beginning to feel like a maiden aunt. No one would ever mistake you for a maiden aunt, Archie. Thanks. Is that another deduction? Maiden aunts rarely need a shave. <laughs> That is, uh, let's postpone that question and slip in another one. I'm, I'm looking for one of your office people. He's in his 40s, 5 foot 10, brown hair and eyes, speaks in a sharp, quick voice. He owes you money, too. Uh, who owes me money? Mr. Wheeler, the man you were describing. He owes everybody money, in spite of the fact that he's office manager and makes lots and lots of money. How much does he owe you? Hmm? Oh, not, not an awful lot. It won't break me if I don't get it. Is he in yet? Well, he was, but he went home. He was sort of sick. Sort of? Mm-hmm. He got a phone call from somebody and rushed out. Mm, too bad. Well, I'd better scram. Well, you didn't answer my question yet. I'm off at five. My name's Gwen. Goodbye. Wolf speaking. Archie here. Our unknown's name is Wheeler. He left the office this morning sick after he got a mysterious phone call. Bad, probably. Get to Dorothy Spencer at once and bring her here. Right. I'm at Wheeler's house now. Thought I'd better check. His wife's here, too. Blonde? Uh-huh. How could you tell? Fetch smirk in your voice. Get out of there fast and don't stop to console Mrs. Wheeler. Triggers, I'll shut it. Oh, Archie. I would prefer silence. Keep your hands high, Goodwin. It's unhealthy. All the blood had run into my head. Archie, he murdered Charles. He did. Tut, Mr. Wheeler. You really shouldn't have. It's against the law. Get into the bathroom, both of you. I already shaved. I phoned him. I thought maybe he had my letters. Porter couldn't keep his mouth shut about his other victims. He was going to force Dorothy to marry him. Did you find his material, Wheeler? Yes. In an office, he read it as a front. It's all burned. And why all the melodrama? You know about me, so does she. I can't trust anyone. Get into the bathroom, I said. Look, let's not lose our heads about this. Get moving, Goodwin. I like it here. All right, then. Here is where you'll get it. Hey, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Something's wrong. I got shot and Wheeler fell down. I shot him, Goodwin. Stebbins. Dear Sergeant Stebbins. Oh, you little flat-footed angel. (laughs) It's lucky for you my flat feet got staked out here in time. Just for that, I'll buy you a pair of arch supports for your next birthday. But 
I'm beginning not to believe this. You had it all figured out? Well, not exactly. Well, that is... Ah, uh-huh. Wolf sent you here. Well, he kind of phoned in and suggested one of us shoot down here and do some rescue work. <laughs> that old devil. Hey, you're not kidding. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> Wolf wasn't sure whether you'd need rescuing from Wheeler or... <laughs> Stop killing yourself with your own jokes. <laughs> or whether Miss Spencer would need rescuing from you. You've been a very foolish young woman, Miss Spencer. I suggest that in the future you exercise more care in your correspondence. Oh, I shall, Mr. Wolf, but how can I ever thank you? Well, one one way would be to listen wide-eyed while he explains how he solved the case. I have no intention. Oh, come on, Mr. Wolf, stop stalling. Please, mm. Mr. Wolf. Well, uh, I'd be very happy to. As a matter of fact, I'd like to see anyone try to stop me. <laughs> A man came to me, offered me $1,000 to drop a client I didn't have. Why? Because obviously he wished to direct my attention to that client. Me? You, Miss Spencer. Now then, he identified himself as Charles Porter, a musician. But I tested him and discovered that he knew nothing of music. Ah! The da capo routine. Precisely. Therefore, he was an imposter. His purpose? Yeah. To indicate by no means subtly that enmity existed between Porter and Dorothy Spencer. Huh? Thus, when Porter was found murdered, I would presumably be convinced that Dorothy Spencer, balked in her effort to enlist my aid against Porter, had resorted to most foul and bloody murder. Most foul and bloody murder is very fancy, Dorothy. Shows he likes you. Oh. I thereupon asked myself, why should an unknown seek to convince me that Dorothy Spencer was Porter's murderer? And you answered yourself? One reason only, because he himself intended to murder Porter, as he did. For which peccadillo he has, thanks to Sergeant Stebbins' accuracy with a revolver, already paid with his own life. Quadirap demonstrandum. Latin for that's what you wanted to know. I think you're wonderful, Mr. Wolf, and I'm going to... Ah, be careful. Kiss you. Hmm, Archie, Miss Spencer is a very dangerous young woman. Today I feel brave. Do you, Archie? Very brave. What are you doing tonight? Nothing. Let's do it together. Bah. Oh, is that Mr. Wolf? I said bah. Would you very much mind conducting your romance elsewhere? I would not. And do so at once. I have a very important matter to attend to. Goodbye, Mr. Wolf. Goodbye. Night, sir. Very important. Very to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. This is Chester William Bendix Riley. The Man Called X follows on NBC. The Case of the Careworn Cuff on The Adventures of Nero Wolf, an October 27, 1950 broadcast from NBC. I'm Mark LeBernier, and this is the Hour of Radio Mystery Untuned to Yesterday. We now turn to the crime anthology series The Whistler for That Cutlerville Affair. The story from May 30, 1954, heard on CBS with Larry Dobkin, Michael Ann Barrett, and Julie Bennett. Next on Tuned to Yesterday. The Whistler. Presented by the United States Air Forces in Europe. I'm the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. The Whistler's Strange Story, That Cutlerville Affair. The night train from Los Angeles 
shattering the stillness of the countryside, had just raced over the North River Bridge and now began to wind serpent-like along its mountain roadbed as David Talbot, sitting in the club car, folded the evening newspaper in his lap and looked at his watch. Then he leaned back in his chair and sighed a happy, contented sigh. Suddenly he tensed and stared as a slender, attractive blonde and her male companion entered the car. Quickly he picked up the newspaper again to shield his face. But he was too late. Dave! Uh, Dave Talbot, of all people. Uh, Nora! Well, this is a surprise. Well, imagine running into you again after all these years. How are you, Dave? Oh, just fine, Nora, fine. Still looking as handsome as ever. You hadn't expected ever to see Nora again, had you, David? But now that you have, it's brought back a flood of memories. Unpleasant memories. Yes, your past has caught up with you, hasn't it? And you're disturbed, uneasy. Hardly listen to her as she goes on chatting about the... Uh, Good old days, when the two of you worked for Skelly's Detective Agency. Remember the time, Dave, that Skelly put us on the Cosgrove case? Cosgrove? You know, the old gentleman looking for his daughter. Surely you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a funny little guy, Frankie, but loaded with dough. That's so? Mm-hmm. Well, he and a partner had gone into some sort of business. Do you remember what it was, Dave? No, no, not exactly. He had his fingers in several different things. Anyway, Frankie, he came back with around 200 grand. Wanted to find his daughter so he could leave the money to her when he passed on. Oh, lucky gal. Maybe she wasn't. You see, we never did find her. Did we, Dave? No. No, we didn't. Too bad. Let me see. Anne Cosgrove would be about 25 or 26 by now. That was her name, wasn't it, David? Anne... Yeah, that's right, and Uh, look, you two, I'm sorry to have to break away, but my stop is coming up. So, uh, Nora, Frankie, I guess I'll say goodbye. Oh, not goodbye, Dave. We'll all see one another again, won't we? was late. One whole minute. Well, never mind that. How have you been feeling? I'm better. Good. Well, how'd the deal go? Oh, just fine. I sewed it up. Oh, that's wonderful. Darling, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm sort of proud of myself, the way I handled it. That property sale will net us a nice little commission. The company bought the entire seven acres? Uh-huh. Going to start building as soon as possible. Well, I like Cutlerville. And now, Mrs. Talbot, how about feeding your husband, huh? I'm famished. Of course, darling. Dinner's already in waiting. Uh, honey, you sure you don't need any help? No. I'll clear the things off the table. You go on in the den and relax. We'll have a coffee in there. Okay. Well, who could that be? Expecting anyone to... Mrs. Chambers, to pick up some sewing I have for her. But she couldn't be this early. See who it is, David. I'll take the dishes into the kitchen. All right. Hello, Dave. Nora. Well, hiya, boy. Couldn't help noticing the town woman when you got off the train, darling. It was so friendly and warm, so after you left the train, we decided to get off, too. Who is it, darling? And what a charming little home. Cozy. Yes, real cozy. Yes, sir. Always thought I'd like to settle down in a nest like this someday. White picket fence out the front, roses around the door. You know, the works. Oh, this must be the little woman, eh? Hello. Oh, uh, darling, I'd like you to meet some old friends of mine, uh, Nora and Frank Williams. Hello, Anne. It is Anne, isn't it? Yes, that's right, Mrs. Williams. Make that Nora. And this is Frankie. Well, hiya. As I was telling Dave, we were just passing through... We decided to drop by and say hello. I hope we're not intruding. Oh, no, of course not. We were about to have our coffee in the den. Won't you join us? Well, fine, fine. Well, this way, Mr. Frankie. Ha-ha, <laughs> that's the ticket, Andy. Yes, sir. Well, Dave, it looks like my hunch was right. Nora, what's the idea? We always were a pretty good private eye, Dave. That's the way I figured it. 
not only found Ann Cosgrove, the missing heiress, but you married her, too. What you feared most has happened, hasn't it, David? That someday someone would learn the truth about your coming to Cutlerville. And now Nora Williams, an old acquaintance, has guessed the reason. Knows why you married Anne. You're on edge and tense. Take little part in the conversation as you sit in the den with your wife Anne, Nora, and her husband Frank. Fortunately, Nora says nothing of your past association with Skelly's detective agency. Or of your part in the search launched by Anne's father in an effort to locate her. Finally, you breathe a sigh of relief as Frank gets to his feet and glances at his watch. Well, Nora, baby, if we're going to catch the train... Oh, is it that time already? Seems we just got here. Must you rush off so soon? Yeah, afraid so. Got to be in Farmington by morning. Oh, really, Ann, darling? We'd love to stay, but we can't. Some other time, though. We've so much to chat about. Haven't we, David? Yeah, that's right, Nora. Oh, uh, Dave, you mind if I use your phone and like to call a cab? Oh, don't bother. David will drive you down to the depot. No, wouldn't want to put you out, Dave. No trouble. Now, you three run along. I'm expecting my sewing woman, so I'd better stay here. I've so enjoyed meeting you, Nora. Frank? Mm, thank you, darling. And we've looked forward to the pleasure of meeting you for such a long time. Haven't we, Frank? Yeah, that's right, Nora, baby. We sure have. being rather quiet, Dave. Am I? Well, he's probably got a lot on his mind, Nora. Puzzled, maybe. Well, I'm sort of puzzled myself, David. Here you are driving a three-year-old car, residing in a modest little cottage. Oh, it's nice enough, but hardly what I expected. I thought we'd find you living in style, in keeping with that nice fat bank account. Yeah, that's right. How come, Dave? I just don't happen to have a nice fat bank account, that's all. Oh, David, come now. Anne's father died over a year ago. Surely you must have arranged for his lawyer to find her. No, I haven't arranged anything. Really? Tell me more. Sure, I'll tell you the whole story. I had a plan all worked out when I came to Cutlerville, and I carried it out. I met and married Anne Cosgrove in what the locals called a whirlwind courtship. Go on, David. This is interesting. And I figured I'd wait six months or so, and then fix it so that Anne would learn about her father and the money. I just never got around to it. And why not? Because something went wrong with my fine plan within a few months of the marriage. Anne became ill, very ill, almost died. That's when I realized how much I really loved her. <laughs> oh, no. Did you hear that, Frankie? The man is telling us he fell in love with a girl. I don't expect you to believe me, Nora, but it's true. Anne is different from any girl I've ever met. The clinging vine, fragile, the helpless type. <laughs> they can really get their hooks into a man, can't they, Frankie? Yeah, not like you can, Nora. You're my kind. Oh, thank you, darling. Go on, David. Tell us more. I'm afraid there's nothing more to tell. Here's the depot. If you people are going to catch oh, a train... Oh, we've got a few minutes yet. Go on, David. Tell us how you began to feel like a heel about the whole thing. Marrying the little doll for her money. I felt exactly like a heel. Now you've done nothing about the inheritance, eh? Just tossed it out the window. All for love, eh? My, my, my. Well, now I've heard everything. You've heard the truth, every word of it. Would Anne believe you? I think she would. But you're not certain, are you? I wonder how she'd react to that affair in Seattle you were mixed up in a few years ago. Remember, David? The little widow, Marcia... Marsha Winston? Uh-huh. A skeleton in the lad's family closet, eh? Something I don't know about? The widow and David were engaged to be married, Frankie. They made a charming couple. Dave with his looks and the widow with her money. Now, of course, she had to have money. All Dave's girlfriends have money. Oh, naturally. It made her so attractive to David. And she was so smitten, she even went as far as to change her will. Leaving everything to Davy here, eh? Right. Just as David planned. Now, look, Nora. And then a terrible thing happened, Frankie. Before the wedding could take place, the widow accidentally took an overdose of sleeping pills. Died 
also according to plan, Dave? You know I had nothing to do with that, Nora. Well, the courts decided that way, but the newspapers seemed to feel that your acquittal was a travesty on justice. Well, got off the hook and got the cash, too, eh? Well, unfortunately, Dave didn't get a cent, Frankie. Uh, what? What's that? No. No, you see, it turned out that the widow had had a change of heart. A week before she died, she changed her will again. But Dave didn't know about that when she accidentally took the overdose of sleeping pills. Did you, Dave? You mean that Davy here didn't collect a single sou? Not one. After all that trouble? My, my, what a staggering blow. Makes an interesting story, doesn't it, Frankie? Oh, very. Uh, that must be our train, baby. Don't want to miss it. Thanks for the lift, Frankie. Yes, thanks for everything, Dave. Just forget it. I'll be seeing you. Yes, we'll be seeing you again. Real soon. You're uneasy, jittery in the days that follow, aren't you, David? Everything you told Nora is the truth, isn't it? But you wonder how your wife, Anne, would react to the story of the Seattle affair, especially the news stories of your trial. News stories you're sure Nora has. Stories you're certain would shatter Anne's belief in your integrity and sincerity. And shock her so severely, the strain might be too great. Fragile and sensitive, Anne's well on the road to recovery now, isn't she? And you don't want anything to interfere. Then as several weeks go by, and there's no word from Nora, you begin to breathe a lot easier. One afternoon, as you return home from the office, Anne comes down the walk to meet you. Well, hello, darling. I thought I'd close the office up early and... Anne, is something wrong? David, I've... I've just had a visitor. Oh? A Mr. Berwin, an attorney representing my father's estate. Your father? You remember I told you I hadn't seen him since I was a child? I didn't know where he was. Yes. Well, Mr. Berwin brought me the news, David. Father's dead. He died last year. Oh, Anne, honey, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I knew so very little about him, David. Somehow I wish I I could have seen him again. I know, darling, sure. I'll have to go up to the city tomorrow. Mr. Berwin is anxious to settle things. It seems Father left a considerable amount of money. He's willed everything to me. It's all Nora's doing, isn't it, David? Yes. She's told Mr. Berwin of Anne's identity and whereabouts because she's anxious for you to share Anne's inheritance. And you know why. Yes. Nora has plans, hasn't she? Plans to blackmail you because of what she knows. The following day, you and Anne drive up to the lawyer's office in the city. The meeting is brief. The formalities over quickly. And as the two of you leave the office... David, is something wrong? It has it to do with the money? You're a wealthy woman, darling. The money is as much yours as it is mine. No, 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 it isn't that. It's yours, all yours. But, David... When we get back to Cutler, then I want you to open a separate account at the bank. Darling, that's silly. No, dear, it isn't. But I thought we could invest the money. And listen to me. If you want to invest, why don't you have a talk with Carter down at the bank? Let him handle the matter for you. But, David, I don't understand Because why. it's your money, I don't want any part of it. David. No, I... I... And I'm sorry, but please do as I ask. Won't you? Well, all right. If that's the way you want it. Yes, David, that's exactly the way you want it, isn't it? It's a move on your part to block Nora and her plans, to keep the money out of reach, and you're certain it'll work. You're certain of something else, too, aren't you? Yes. And it happens a few days later as you walk down Cutlerville's main street. A yellow David. convertible pulls up at the curb. David! Well, Nora, just passing through again? Yes, I dropped by to see Anne, and she informed me of her recent inheritance. I was thrilled, of course, weren't you? Did Anne tell you what she plans to do with the money? Oh, it seems that it's all tied up by some friend at the bank. He's going to see that she invests it properly. That's right. And I don't have a thing to do with it. Really? Your idea, of course. Did Anne say it was? No, but I have a hunch. How clever of you, David. Subtle. What does that mean? Well, it's like the affair in Seattle. 
Same thing all over again. I'm certain Anne's made out her will to you, leaving everything to you. The lawyer told you? No, Dave, Anne did, a few minutes ago. And now that you stand to inherit her money, I hope for your sake she doesn't take an overdose of sleeping pills. After that Seattle situation, it would look bad for you. Real bad. Nora isn't going to give up, is she, David? No, you're certain she's going to do something, and you're sure she'll give the matter some very careful thoughts before deciding what. The weeks go by, tense, anxious weeks of waiting and wondering what Nora has planned. Then one night as you return home, you find the house in darkness. You remember that Anne had a late afternoon appointment at the doctor's office in the city. You settle down in the den with a highball and look through the evening paper. Hello. David, this is Sheriff Ames. Oh, yes. What is it, Sheriff? I'm phoning from the hospital, David. There's been an accident. An accident? Yes. It's Anne. You better come right over. Take it easy, David. Oh, but Forrester said she's had a close call, but she'll be all right. How did it happen, Sheriff? Where? Oh, on the old Crown Hill Road. Another car sideswiped hers. Man lost control, ran off the bank. Some youngsters out on a hayride saw the whole thing happen. They claimed the other car ran Ann off the road deliberately. What? It just, just kept right on going. It was a yellow convertible. Yellow convertible, David. Yes. Nora Williams drives the yellow convertible, doesn't she? Inside the hospital room, you stand at Anne's bedside. Look down at her lying still and quiet. They've done this to her, haven't they, David? Nora and Frank. They tried to kill Anne because they felt certain that with her death, you would inherit everything and then pay them liberally for their silence. A rushing, seething wave of cold rage engulfs you. And you're trembling with wild hatred as you turn and hurry out of the hospital. Back at the house, you make up your mind. You decide to make certain neither Frank nor Nora will ever hurt Anne or anyone else again. You take the forty-five automatic out of your dresser drawer. Slip it into your pocket. Then you pick up the phone. Call the depot. Depot? Jess Sloan talking. Oh, Jess, this is Dave Talbot. Talbot. Now, listen, Jess, I've got to get to Los Angeles right away. Isn't there a train due shortly? Yep. There's one due at 8.20. But it don't stop here unless I flag her down. At 8.20. I can just make it. Just flag it down, will you? Sure thing, Mr. Talbot. A moment later, you rush out of the house. The night air is cool and crisp. And as you walk the six blocks toward the depot, you're thinking things out more and more clearly now. The anger, the hatred you felt back at the hospital subsides a little as your thoughts turn to Anne. And you begin to realize that what you plan to do is all wrong. Even though you're sure you'll lose Anne's love, her belief in you, and your reputation and career in Cutlerville, if the story of your previous situation in Seattle is made public, you still can't take the law in your own hands, can you, David? No. You've got to give Anne the best protection you can. And you're sure that she'll suffer less in the long run from learning all about you than she would if you went into Los Angeles and took care of Nora and Frank in the manner you feel they deserve. You're only a short distance from the depot when you reach a decision. You turn into the main street and hurry into the sheriff's office. Well, David, what are you doing here? Sheriff, I'd like a word with you. Well, sure. Have a chair, David. And tell me what's on your mind. You've made your decision, haven't you, David? Yes, you're going to tell the sheriff everything. Why you came to Cutlerville and married Anne. And you'll explain how later you changed your mind about the money. How Nora Williams forced your hand. How she tried to kill Anne. Yes, David, you've got to tell the whole story, even if it means losing Anne's love. It's a chance you have to take to protect her from any further harm. But before you can tell the sheriff anything, he's interrupted by a rather lengthy phone call. Yeah... Yeah, I understand. I understand. Uh-huh. 
All right, Sergeant. I'll be right over. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm going to have to leave. Something's happened. You remember that yellow convertible I was talking about? Well, yes, of course. Well, he put out a bulletin on the car right after Ann's accident. That was a state trooper I was talking to. Spotted the car about 30 miles up the highway. Chased it back in this direction. Oh? Well, go on, sir. When the convertible reached Cutlerville here, it left the main highway. Turned up into the cliff road. Guess they were really hitting it up. Car skidded on a curve. Crashed into the ravine. Oh? Both occupants of the car were killed instantly. Killed? Mm-hmm. Both been identified as uh, Nora and Frank Williams. That's too bad. They'd probably be alive and in police custody by this time if they hadn't been forced off the main highway. What do you mean, forced off? Well, the main highway was blocked off at the depot here by the 820 train, waiting to pick up some passengers. The 820? Well, I was the one who called just to have the train stopped. I, I was the one. What? What's that, Dave? Nothing, Sheriff. No? Well, I'll be back shortly, Dave, if you care to wait here. No. No, I guess I won't wait, Sheriff. What I wanted to tell you about, well, uh, it isn't important anymore. Join us again next week when, once again, the United States Air Forces in Europe presents The Whistler. This is Air Force Sergeant Don Cormay speaking. First heard on CBS on May 30th, 1954, that was an Armed Forces Radio Service rebroadcast of The Whistler in this hour of radio mystery. And that brings to a close both of our cases for this hour of Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great shows from the golden age of radio. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark LeVernier. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 